There was a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi who lived in Israel during the time when the judges were in charge. There was a great shortage of food in Israel that caused them to move to a foreign country called Moab. Elimelech and Naomi raised two sons, and when their sons grew up, they each married women from Moab. Sadly, Naomi's husband and two sons died, and Naomi was left alone with her two daughter-in-laws. She told them that she was going to move back to Israel and that they should return to their own families. But one of the women, Ruth, refused to leave Naomi. She said, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So Naomi and Ruth moved back to Israel to begin a new life. One day, Ruth went to a field to pick up the grain that the farmers had left behind. Little did she know that the owner of the field was Boaz, a relative of Naomi. Boaz was kind to her and offered her to come find food whenever she wanted. Naomi was getting older, so she came up with a plan to provide for Ruth once she was gone. Naomi suggested that Ruth go down to the barley threshing floor where Boaz would be resting, uncover his feet, and ask him to take care of her. Ruth took Naomi's advice. She uncovered Boaz's feet and laid down next to him. In the middle of the night, Boaz woke up startled. Ruth asked him to care for and protect her. Boaz said he needed to first buy the land she lived on so that he would have the right to marry her. So Boaz brought together the decision makers of his town and asked for permission to buy the land. The leaders gave Boaz permission and prayed that God would help Ruth be a great wife. They were married and had a son named Obed, who would soon become the grandfather of one of the greatest leaders Israel had ever known. Several years ago, a 42-year-old woman by the name of Georgianne Johnson ran a marathon by accident. She'd been training to run a 10K, or about a fifth of a marathon, uh, in downtown Cleveland. Uh, however, the only problem is that she accidentally lined up with the crowd that was running the marathon instead. It wasn't until the four-mile mark that she realized her mistake. So, like the Energizer Bunny, she just kept on going and going and going. She finished the race in a pretty remarkable four hours and four minutes and ended up finishing an 83rd place in the women's division. After the race, George Ann said something quite remarkable about her unintended feat. While speaking with reporters, she said the following, It isn't the race that I trained for. It isn't the race that I entered, but for better or for worse, it's the race I'm in. But man, isn't that good? It isn't the race I trained for. It isn't the race I entered, but for better or for worse, it's the race I'm in. Sooner or later, we will find ourselves in a race that we never intended to run. We will find ourselves in the midst of a race that we did not sign up for? Will you be able to endure it? We will get the diagnosis from the doctor, and it's the worst case scenario. Someone close to us will make a bad decision, and we'll be left to clean up the mess. We'll lose someone that we love way too early. 
and will have to run the rest of the race without them. Today, as we continue in the story, we come to the book of Ruth. It's a story about a woman who wound up running a race that she never signed up to run. Here's the deal. The last time we looked at the book of Judges, and you may remember that it was a time of repeated disobedience. The very last line of the book says, In those days there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But here we find something completely different. The beginning of the book starts off telling us that this took place in the days of the Judges which is setting us up for a contrast. In other words, God was at work in one way. It seemed like a godless time throughout the judges, but this is some way that God was doing something in parallel. God was working. God is doing something very special here. Here's how the book starts off. In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, which is fitting because he's about to be eliminated from the story. His wife's name was Naomi. Sorry, too soon, 3,500 years, too soon. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, who will be killed off the story as well. There were the Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Yes, that Bethlehem is where they're from. It tells us that there was a woman named Naomi, which means pleasant in Hebrew. You're going to want to remember that for later on in the story. Naomi, her husband, and their two sons lived in Bethlehem about 1,100 years before the time of Christ. There was a famine in the land, so they had no way of getting by, so they went to live in this place called Moab, which is a very pagan place. Moab was formed by the incestuous union of Lot and his oldest daughter back in Genesis 19, and it had continued on in its debauchery since then. The Moabites worshipped a god named Shemosh, and one of their idolatrous rituals included child sacrifice. This is not just across the border from Israel. This is a completely different place, morally speaking. And here's something you need to understand as well. In the race that you're in, God is at work in some of the most unexpected places. There'll be people that you think, well, how in the world could God ever use them? How could God work through them or that situation? And yet, in the midst of those situations is where we find God. And that's kind of his MO, isn't it? He worked through the judges in the midst of a very, uh, very ungodly time. He worked through the Israelites when they were slaves. And he worked through Abraham and Sarah to produce a child when they were way, 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 way too old to have children, didn't he? Have you accepted this reality in your life? God wants to work in unexpected places and through unexpected people in order to accomplish his purposes. So while they're there, Naomi's sons marry Moabite women named Ruth and Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah. She comes along a little bit later in the story uh, on TV. Uh, and so, uh, but Naomi's husband dies, and then her two sons die, leaving these three women as widows. There was no social security net or pensions back then. These ladies really were in trouble. Without question, they were living in utter poverty. Which leads us to the next characteristic of the race that we're in. And the race you're in runs straight through the valley of poverty. 
Now, these ladies experienced all three types of poverty. They experienced physical poverty, which is when they simply didn't have enough to make ends meet. They went through a famine, and then after the famine, their husbands died. They did not have a means to get by in their culture. But we also see in the story that they experienced a type of emotional poverty, where they felt like there was no way that they could possibly get through this trial on their own, which we're going to see especially coming true uh, in Ruth's life, or excuse me, in Naomi's life here coming up. And finally, they had a spiritual poverty. This is when their well is dry, where their faith had taken such a beating that they didn't know what to do. We find ourselves experiencing probably at least two of those three in our lifetimes as well. Physical poverty, spiritual poverty, and emotional poverty. We find ourselves impoverished, depleted, spent, running on fumes. The low fuel light has come on in our lives and there is no gas station in sight. We don't know how we're going to get by, do we? The story continues in verse 16. It says, Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Many of you probably had those verses read at your wedding. It wasn't originally uh, in a wedding that these were spoken, but it was spoken between, uh, between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. How many of those could speak those words to your in-laws? No? Not many? Okay. Well, that's, that's part of the story here. This is the depth of love that exists here um, between Naomi and Ruth, between the family that, that God has brought together here. In verse 18 it says, When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So have you recognized in the midst of this race that you're in, even when you go through one of the three poverties that I mentioned, that you are not running this race alone? You are not alone. God puts people in our paths. God places a church to surround us in the midst of our trials so that we can get through it. And so I ask you, who's your Ruth? Who is it that has chosen to walk alongside of you in the midst of your bitterness, in the midst of your pain, so that you do not need to suffer alone? Who's your Ruth? Who's been that Ruth at that point in your life where you absolutely needed them and they were there. On the other hand, who's your Naomi? Who is it that you are called to walk alongside of and to help out in the midst of their bitterness, in the midst of their poverty, so that they can find the hope that you have? Sometimes these people are younger or older. Sometimes they've been lifelong friends. Sometimes they come from a completely different walk in life than us. But we all have our Ruths and our Naomi's. And we all need our Ruths and our Naomi's. Well, when they get back to Bethlehem, it says they arrived in Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, can this be Naomi? Which again, it's a play on words because Naomi means pleasant. Then listen to her response. 
Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. The name Mara in the Old Testament means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Aren't you glad the story doesn't end there? (laughs) It's rather dark and rather dreary. But I think it's important to recognize that this is the emotions that we will have at different points in our lives. And it's okay. In fact, there's a new term out there that I read about the other day that is called toxic positivity. Maybe you've heard about toxic positivity, or maybe you've experienced toxic positivity when someone that you love or care for insists on being positive no matter what the situation may be. It involves dismissing negative emotions and responding to stress with false reassurances rather than empathy. And it comes from feeling uncomfortable with negative emotions, and it's well-intended, but can cause alienation or a feeling of disconnection. In fact, McKenna Princing says this about toxic positivity. She says, toxic positivity is shallow. It's a false reassurance, like someone saying, everything happens for a reason after your grandmother dies, or everything will work out after you lose your job and apartment and are forced to relocate. Church, The Bible doesn't have any toxic positivity in it. This is not just a self-help book to make you feel better. But it does have something that's called lament in it. It It has people experiencing the very depths of human pain and crying out without filters, without guards, sometimes shouting to God in anger, sometimes pleading with Him to be put an end, to put an end to this part of the race that we're in. And you need to know that always trying to be positive when life throws you or a loved one into chaos isn't healthy. Several years ago, a man by the name of Nicholas Wolterstoff, a well-known Christian philosopher, lost his 25-year-old son to a mountain climbing accident. In his book, Lament for a Son, he tries to find purpose for it all, and he struggles mightily to do so. He talks about his difficulties that he had reconciling his faith with it all. But he also talks about one of the most important aspects was that people who would walk alongside of him and would intervene from time to time. Sometimes it was just listening. Sometimes it was kind words. Sometimes it was simply being present. As he spoke about them, he said it was as if they were saying to him, let me take a cup from your mountain of grief and bury it. Let me take a cup from your mountain of grief and bury it. And the reality is, is that when we're going through significant trials, it feels like a mountain, doesn't it? It feels like a huge obstacle in front of us. But yet if someone can just take one cup full of that mountain and bury it, take it away for us, then that's enough. It's the only way we can truly overcome bitterness and pain. And so when we comfort those who are going through extreme pain or loss or anger, Our ears will always do more good than our mouths. And it is enough simply to be there for someone and to listen. And it's far better than offering cliche pieces of advice. When we do speak, the best things we can do is affirm our love for the person who is suffering and be willing to walk alongside of them for the long haul. When discussing how his grief actually shaped him positively, Wolterstolf also says, I shall look at the world through tears. Perhaps I shall see things that dry-eyed I could not see. 
As you look at the world through tears, what is it that God is wanting you to see that you haven't seen before? Well, that's only chapter one, and to get through all four chapters of the book of Ruth, we're going to hit the fast-forward button and just hit the highlights a little bit here. What you need to know is that the race does not end here in bitterness. It does, in fact, get better for Ruth and for Naomi, for the whole family. See, the social safety nets that they had in place in Israel through the, the law were primarily relational, being carried out by relatives. In this case, a relative of Ruth's deceased husband. Ruth was going to go to the fields and pick, and basically pick up what the harvester missed. This gleaning would be her means of getting by. And so by some, what some would call a coincidence, she, she chooses the field of Boaz, who winds up becoming the Christ figure in the story. And so here in chapter 2, it says, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, what, who does that young man belong, or that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab uh, with Naomi. And she said, Please let me glean and gather along the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along the other after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about all all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Man, it's a powerful story of people looking out for one another, and it winds up becoming so much more than that. See, the story goes into detail here about how Boaz was actually what the law called a kinsman redeemer. In other words, he was a relative of her deceased husband and how he could now marry her in order to, uh, to help carry on, to help provide for her, which is what he does after Ruth makes him aware of this. But you remember old Mara, old Bitter? You know, Naomi? She may have changed her name over to Bitter, but the Bible never does. It still refers to her as Naomi, or Pleasant, because her race did not end in bitterness. It kept going to somewhere where she couldn't even imagine it would go. Listen to the rest of the story. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, because that kind of stuff happens in the Bible too, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and will sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. I love that. Praise be to the Lord who has not left you without. 
Church, I promise you this, that in the race you are in, God has never left you. Even when you have felt God forsaken, even when you have felt like God is nowhere near, in the race you are in, God has never left you and He will never leave you or forsake you. Now, you may remember the previous book of Judges ended, right? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as Esau fit. Well, listen to the contrast to how the book of Ruth ends. It says in chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David? You know, that David, the greatest king in all of Israel, who was born descended of a Moabite woman who was rescued by an Israelite man. And in the race you're in, I think you'll find similar things happening. In the race you're in, God will take you from poverty to royalty. God took Ruth and Naomi's family on a journey from poverty to royalty. And He can take you on a journey too. A journey from bitter to better. From broken to whole. From hopeless to hopeful. From death to life. That's exactly what He's been doing in Vincent's life. Several years ago, Vincent, who was about 10 years old at the time, was kicked out of his home in Nairobi, Kenya by his mother, who no longer wanted to care for him. He had no options but to go to the streets and to live as a street boy. Somewhere over the next few years, Vincent started attending True International, one of the missions that we support here at East Point, the ministry of Tyler and Amy Maxwell, uh, and, and sometimes it was receiving food there at the ministry. Sometimes it was going to an art class or simply in going and playing soccer with them. But he always included hearing, it always included hearing about the hope of Jesus Christ. And even while living on the streets, Vincent started growing in his faith. Then one day at an event where lunch was served to the street kids at a fenced-in compound, the street kids were given an orange to take home from supper, much larger than this tangerine, but it's the only thing I could find in the kitchen that works. Oranges are perfect suppers for them to take home because they have a peel on them, and that keeps the orange from getting dirty between dinner and supper and dinner. And I, even as I say this, I, I, almost, I have to catch myself because I keep saying take home. He, he was without a home. I mean take back to the roundabout under the bridge where he lived. But after a while, the workers noticed that Vincent was outside by the fence with his orange and some other younger kids who were also impoverished, but not as bad off as he was, were standing outside of there. And they saw Vincent walk out to those other kids and take that orange, his supper, and give it to those kids and turn around and walk away. And they all stood there in shock. Because they thought, Vincent just gave away his supper. He's not going to have anything to eat tonight because he just gave those kids who are also poor, but younger than him, not as poor as he was, his very supper. But then something extraordinary happened. Vincent turned around and went and got the orange and took it back from them. 
And they thought, they started laughing because they thought Vincent was taking back his supper. He'd realized what he'd done. But within seconds, their laughs were turned to tears when they saw what Vincent was really doing. You see, the oranges in Kenya have a very extremely tough peels, and the boys were too young to peel the orange themselves. And so Vincent went back, he took the orange, and he peeled it, and he split it in half and gave it to each boy so that they could eat it there. In that moment, Vincent showed a deeper form of love. He showed that love doesn't just go halfway. Love doesn't even stop at radical generosity. You could even say love doesn't just give the orange, but love peels the orange. It goes the extra mile. That simple act of love resonated with so many, and before too long, people in the United States had heard about Vincent's act of love and gave financially so that he could get off the streets and get into boarding school. Not only that, but people in Korea picked up the story and also started to give financially to get him off the streets. Before long, Vincent was baptized into Christ. I got to be there in Vincent, the day that Vincent was baptized. I'll never forget it. Vincent had broken his arm and had his right arm in a cast, so he had to baptize all of his body except for his right arm, which I think that he'll still be okay when he gets to heaven. I think he'll be all right. But it wasn't much longer after that, and the true staff started working with Vincent's mom as well. And while reunification hasn't happened yet, Vincent's mom also came to Christ and was baptized last year. Vincent is now in school and has regularly been one of the top students in his grade. Just after starting school, he won the Most Improved Student and the Student of the Term Award. When Vincent graduates, he wants to go on and to be a pilot. Whatever Vincent does become when he graduates, we know this, is that God met Vincent in his time of poverty and has taken him from poverty to royalty as he is now one of the children of the Lord Most High. And church, I ask you today, where are you at in your journey from poverty to royalty? Are you still in a place of physical, emotional, or spiritual poverty? And you're bitter about what your life has become? If so, may I remind you that even in her bitterness, the Lord never left Naomi, and He'll never leave you either. Maybe you're midway through the story. You've started to see how the story plays out, and you're starting to trust more and more in God, but you still have your questions. May I simply remind you that the Lord never left Ruth in the middle of her story, and He'll never leave you either. Maybe you're at a place on the journey where you see someone in need and you know you need to help. May I remind you that God never left Boaz and he provided for him in amazing ways in his generosity and he will never leave you either. Church, Jesus Christ is our Boaz. He is the one who redeemed us all from more than just poverty but from sin and death. And when we look to the cross, we see a radical love that has come to set us free. And just as with the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, which became the story of Obed and Jesse and King David,
I can promise you this. No matter how long your race has been going on, your story is really just getting started. And you'll want to stick around for the end. Father, we thank you for the way that you write our stories. We thank you for how you join our stories in some of the most in some of the worst moments, Lord, you show up. We thank you, Lord, for people like Ruth and Naomi. Even though they experienced pain and bitterness, Lord, how you used them to bring about one of the greatest kings of all time, King David. Ultimately, Lord, through their family line, you also brought about Jesus Christ. We thank you for their story. We pray that the God of their story would be the God of our story. We pray that God that joined them in the middle of their race that they didn't sign up for, that you would be the God who shows up in the middle of our race and who carries us to the finish line. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as we wrap up today, I want to let you know a few things going on. First of all, if you uh, were interested in going to the Taste of East Point that was supposed to happen after today's service, I want to let you know that that has been postponed until Sunday, December 5th. We're sorry for that, but that was just in our best interest to go ahead and to postpone that back till December 5th. And so if you are new to East Point, we would love to have you come join us on Sunday, December 5th. So that would be a great opportunity for you to hear more about East Point. That'll take place after this service uh, in, our, in our foyer, in our entryway. All right, here's a few things that we do have going on. First, our game night. If you would like to come and be a part of our game night, our family game night, that is on Friday, November 19th. That is this Friday from 6 to 9 p.m. Come bring some games, bring some snacks to share. You'll have a great time. Uh, really looking forward to, uh, to this event. And finally, our turkey trio that we started in the month of November involves shop, bring, and give. The shop part you guys did last weekend, you did a great job of coming out and supporting uh, those businesses that were fair trade, that were helping uh, local businesses here. We thank you for your support. Uh, the second part of it is bring. Uh, if you were supposed to bring food uh, for the turkey, for the Thanksgiving meals, uh, you were to do that today. If you didn't happen to get that turned in today, you can also bring that next week. Next week will be the last week to collect for that because, well, next week is the last Sunday before Thanksgiving. So make sure and bring that back with you. And finally, the Give Challenge. The Give Challenge is to help support kids like Vincent. Actually, Vincent is one of the students we'll be supporting through, uh, through giving. $25 will provide a week of school, room, and board for street kids like Vincent. And so if you would like to give to help support them, you can grab one of the envelopes out in the back foyer on the Christmas tree that has a dollar amount on that. And you can just give those red envelopes back to our offering buckets or you can also give online in the drop-down menu. It has a place for you to be able to give there. Last week, we had $725 collected uh, alone. Uh, and I uh, just want to remind you that we're doing this, um, this offering here in November. This will take the place of things like the Christmas Eve offering. We're doing our generosity initiatives in November this year rather than in December. So that's what's going on there. If you've got any questions, please uh, feel free to ask me about it. Um, would you please stand, if you would, please, and let me bless you as you prepare to leave.
May the Lord bless you with hearts like Boaz, even as you go through situations as difficult as Ruth and Naomi. And in the midst of your journey, may you see and believe that God is with you always. Amen, and go in peace.